0: That is my teammate. That is my friend. That's my sister. That's somebody who saved my life.
1: Hi, dog lovers. Welcome back to Rescued by a Dog, the podcast about dogs who have actually saved their owners' lives. Today, we're going to hear from Army Ranger Trent, whose heroic working dog, Laika, saved his life in Afghanistan. And then he saved hers. Today's episode is sponsored by IzzyStays.com, my favorite hotel booking website for animal lovers like me. Izzy Stays thinks every dog should be as spoiled as yours, so they set up a free and easy way to send the sales commission from your hotel booking to animal welfare charities. Before we get to the episode, a brief warning. This is a story of heroism and dedication, and it contains some difficult moments about amazing dogs who are wounded at war but it's also a story about humans like Trent who will go to the ends of the earth to make sure that these dogs receive all the love they deserve when they retire. Hi.
0: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm good. It's Trent, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I I was randomly clicking stuff, and I don't know how I ended up here, but I ended up here.
1: Nice, we did it. I want to say thank you for your service, firstly. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell me your story?
0: Um, you know, whenever I joined the canine section in the special operations, the first 75th Ranger Regiment, it was back in 2009. Um, at that point in time, I was given a dog named, um, MPC Benno. Leka and Benno were both Belgian Malinois. So MPC Benno was actually the first dog that I had. And I did, uh, all four of my combat deployments. Uh, with him I did four combat deployments. I did had six six ropes, helicopter ropes onto uh, hostile targets, which means I roped with Benno out of a helicopter, um, you know, on a on a on a fast rope that was, you know, no no shorter than thirty thirty, thirty five feet. Um, ten IED finds, and IEDs are improvised explosive devices. And then we had forty three apprehensions. If Benno if Benno was a, a human he would have been like a, a spartan or something like that you know what i mean um holding you know holding back the line and you know when you have a dog like him and he's a part of your assault force and your task force um you can look at everybody and you can be like you know because i'm not going to lie you can look at a lot of people and you can be like like we're all afraid but then when you turned around and you looked at him you quickly weren't afraid anymore because you know that that animal has my back therefore all the butterflies in my stomach are, have gone away. And so that dog really was a, a source of a lot of my strength. Um, with Benno, I, uh, you know, I had Benno for four deployments. So you fast forward to 2012, um, and Benno was shot in the head on my birthday.
1: Ugh.
0: When Benno got shot and Benno was killed, um, a large piece of me died that day, large piece of me died. I mean, to this day, um, You know, I refuse to tell Lake's story without first telling Benno's story, right? Um, Here you have a dog that did eight combat deployments, night in, night out, year in, year out, saving lives every day. Um, Everybody on that camp knew how close I was to Benno. And so anyway, yeah, when he passed, it was, you know, it was like Samson getting all his hair cut off. Um, Everybody to this day, they'll tell you how they saw a massive shift and change in my attitude. Um, you know, once he did die, I mean, I had three more months there, and um, that I had to continue to fight. You know, you can't say time out and check out. You know, you have to get a new dog. You have to get a new dog, and you have to continue that fight. And, um, you know, we've we got, we got his, we got his remains back to, uh, the Sharana, Sharana Air Base, because we were in Sharana, Afghanistan. And, um, you know, literally the next day I was bringing his remains on a C-130 and going back to Kandahar um, so I could drop off his remains so he could get cremated and, um, and I, could, I could pick out a new dog. Um, there was three dogs for me to pick from at that point in time. There was two male dogs there, uh, a dog named Lucky and a dog named Rico. Um, both dogs had multiple deployments, but they had never done anything spectacular on either of those both deployments, right? Um, they hadn't really proven themselves at all. And so I needed a dog that uh was either a blank slate or a dog that was salty, right? Because we were I mean, we were getting into contact every night. And so <clears throat> so I saw leka Um, Leica at the time had just turned one, so she was very, very young. She had never been um deployed before. This is her first deployment, and um she just had this look about her, right? She had this look in her eyes about her that um, You know that was kind of like you know when you looked at her you were like yes and you saw her work you were like yes she can save lives um and so i grabbed her and picked her um so then we fly back to sharana uh from kandahar and um and i am starting to prep this dog almost instantly for missions You know making sure the kits on the dog making sure the dogs properly fitted. um you know kind of go, running through everything right like when you have the luxury of having a dog that has a combat deployments um you know there's a there's a certain feeling that there's there's a certain feeling of security that you have right because you already knew that a dog like benno is going to perform and do his job he's already done it for eight deployments. So there's going to be no change to that. When you get a new dog, there's a lot of stressors there because you don't know what, what's going to, you know, you don't know how this dog's going to perform. You don't know how she's going to act. You know, um, you know, there's a whole laundry list of things that could go wrong when you're talking about a brand new dog in this sort of environment. Um, And so we go out and we go out and, you know, the first night I have her, we do, we receive contact, um, up from on a, on a mountainside. There was like a little, uh, mud hut, you know, probably no bigger than a king size bathroom. Right. And so we sent her in this mud hut and she hit the brakes. So she hit the brakes. And so I had to pull out a tennis ball. I had to pull out a tennis ball, show it to her and throw the tennis ball actually into the breach of this mud hut. So she would at least go in there and check it out. Um, and you never really want to do that because you know that's kind of training on the spot. Um, and so we did it. There was nobody in the room, but right then and there, um, I was able to make like a like a note in my head. I got to work on got to work on entering rooms and entering and clearing rooms. We get back to that compound. Our compound after running that mission. And we start, you know, I let the assault force know, like, hey, look, here are our pros, here are our cons, and these are things that we need to start working on instantly. About about that time, we had um, a lot of weather coming in. You know, there was a lot of spring, spring weather coming in, um, lots of rain, which means, you know, our air assets are down, you know, the drones aren't flying, um, the helicopters aren't flying, too much dust, not enough visibility. And so it really gave us and afforded us an opportunity to train um, Leka and get her up to speed. So for about three or four days, that's what we worked on with her. We worked on entering, entering and clearing a room um, for a combatant. And so we did that for a bunch of nights and, um, and we took her back out on, on a few more real, real targets. Once the weather cleared up, um, nothing spectacular, nothing crazy. Uh, happened. And then um, I would say on her sixth mission, um, it was May. So Benno got shot April 27th, and this would have been May 24th, would have been her sixth mission um, of 2012. Um, we had landed outside the enemy compound. Um, upon landing outside of the enemy compound, we took uh, indirect fire. Well, I'm sorry, small small arms fire from the uh, from the targeted compound. Um, at that point in time, uh, we set up, we fired back, we suppressed fire. And, uh, and then we pretty much did a call out, you know, we said, Hey, you, this is us, um, come out with your hands up and, and, or let, you know, let the innocent people come out and they let all the women and children out of the house. The, the woman in charge did a head count and she confirmed that she had all, um, all, you know all women and all children and they were all accounted for. And we, we had positive control over them. And so we gave the enemy one last opportunity to give up and they responded with, uh, with a flood of gunfire. So that instantly told us that they're not willing to give up. So we called in two Apache gunships and, uh, and they dropped two hellfires um, onto that targeted compound um, upon You know, upon completion of the two hellfires going off, the the command asked us to go ahead and do a BDA, which is a battle damage assessment. Upon completion of the battle damage assessment, um, you know, it was assessed that, you know, the compound was pretty much dilapidated from the two hellfire missiles and that they were going to go ahead and push uh, rangers, which is us, the assault force, into clear the compound. Right. So we could find weapons, um, sensitive site exploitation, cell phones you know, maps, anything that the enemy could be having on a, on him that we could use for vital intel for future missions. And so we go in there and we, we clear it. And so, we, you know, we we moved up to the last cover and concealed position. Um, my good buddy, he pulls out a thermal barret grenade and he puts it in front of Lake's face and he throws it. He throws it into the breach. We all count back down from eight seconds. Um because that's the the time fuse that that um grenade has on it, and so you know we're one one thousand two one thousand you know five one thousand six one thousand seven one thousand eight one thousand boom, and at, right when this thing goes off, we're sending leica um you know, I'm sending Leica into that you know dilapidated breach um Leica goes in there, she clears her first point of domination, which is the first corner of the house, and then she goes collapses down to the second point of domination. Um, and at this point in time, you have six rangers that are starting to flood um, inside of this um, dilapidated structure, and, and we're clearing room to room. Um, I get up to where Lega's at, and as I get up to where Lega's at, I can see that she's engaging what, I, what appears to me to be a dead body. And so I went ahead and, and chose to um, take her off verbally. And, uh, and as I was taking her off, the guy came back to life. And uh, he began to shoot her, um, you know, four times, shot her four times, point blank range. Um, You know, and, you know, that was the first time I'd ever been that close to gunfire. So you have to think my hands are on her ears, you know what I mean? And I'm kind of working her on this bite. I think the guy's dead. My weapon is slung, and my hands are not on my weapon whatsoever. Both of my hands are on my dog, so I am disarmed. And I'm running her out of this building, and I'm running her to the predetermined fallback position. When I get there, we have the medic, and we have um, a PA, which is a physician's assistant there. And they, you know, it's my job to get control of Blake's head, you know, and I, I put her muzzle on, and then they start working the narcotics. Um, and they start checking her wounds out. Um they start wrapping her up. And then once they got done, so you're looking at from flash to bang, from the time Lakey got shot to the time we got home, it was probably four hours. Um, they flew us back, uh, the whole assault force back to the to the cache, which is the hospital. And we instantly started working on her. And uh, when I said we, I mean there was there was one there was a veterinarian and the veterinarian crew there, um, but ultimately what what and en- who ended up working on her was actually real human surgeons. They amputated her leg, took seven hours. So I sat in there the whole time, and then they had to fix that tricep on her right front leg, and um, and they didn't have the equipment to do it in country. And so at that point in time, they had uh, called in a airplane from Germany to come pick Lake up. So, you know, within eight hours from her getting shot, you know, she's now has this now her legs amputated. And now they have called on they're calling on a, a massive cargo jet to come in and pick up the dog. So it was that was to me, that was kind of cool. And then they send her to Germany. <laughs> Um, at Germany, they do another seven-hour surgery, and they uh, and then they put her in a like two-week uh, medical induced coma. Um, and during that, the reason why they put her in the medical induced coma was because they were afraid she was going to wake up and then literally damage the leg that they just repaired. And mm-hmm. if she would have done that, she would have died. You know, like they would have had to put her down. Meanwhile, I'm not in Germany at all. I'm still in Afghanistan. And so all the updates I'm getting on this dog are all kind of um, second and third hand information, right? I'm calling up there. I'm just trying to figure out, Hey, did she make it? Is she alive? Did she, did she live through the surgery? Okay. Now what? You know what I mean? And so they are like, Hey, she lived through the surgery, you know, we're putting her in a two week medical induced coma. And now we're sending her to um, San Antonio, Texas and uh, Lackland at Lackland air force base. And <clears throat> Lackland Air Force Bases, you know, if, if you know anything about the military, they have the largest military working dog facility um, in the United States. So Laka goes there and um, and she's there for like a month and a half, two months. And at that point in time, when she went there, I kind of lost contact with her just because I was fighting a war. You know what I mean? And when Leika got shot, you know, you, the whole wind, the, the, the whole wind came, you know, running out of my cells. There was no, there was no more wind. I had no more motivation uh, for it. I was pretty angry and bitter, you know, two dogs essentially less than a month. And so, you know, I lost, I lost a lot. I lost a lot of confidence and a lot of, uh, you know, just a big piece of myself on that deployment. It took me a long time to figure out what that was, probably years. It took me a long time to find, kind of find myself after that. And so I finally get home, I would say, August I get back, right? I get back in the United States. And, you know, I see my family, you know, I'm happy to be home, all that cool stuff. <clears throat> and then I call Lackland Air Force Base. And I'm like, hey, I'm just curious um, to know if you guys still have a dog named Leka." And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we have a dog named up." And I was like, great. Um, I was like, well, uh, I would like to adopt her. And, uh, and they were like, oh, we already have somebody that sticks into a doctor. And they were like, who are you? And I was like, I'm her handler. And they were like, eh. so they kind of hit the brakes on that. And they, <clears throat> they obviously gave me um, first come, first serve as far as adopting her. And then I went down to um, San Antonio, Texas, where I picked her up. Oh, man, it was it was great. Like I could tell she had seen me like she saw me and you could you could tell there was like almost a sense of relief on her face. Right. Like she was like, oh, yes, finally, somebody who knows finally somebody who knows me, because you got to think a dog like her she wakes up in a medical induced coma from a medical induced coma after two weeks and she wakes up and now she's in the United States. Her last clear thought is getting shot. And so, you know, all of a sudden she wakes up and now she's, you know, in the United States surrounded by people she doesn't know and she's missing a leg. And so when I saw her, she was just like super relieved. Like, thank God you're here. Let's go. You know, Upon picking her up, they actually had an award ceremony for her, and this is when she was awarded the um, the, the Medal of Heroism, right, from the Air Force for her actions of saving um, about six, milit- you know, about six special operation operators' lives uh, that night, um, because without her, there would have definitely been loss of life. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, she was awarded the Medal of Heroism, and um, and I ended up adopting her. And then, uh, after I adopted her, I was just, you know, that was my thing is like, I was just, I was happy to have her, you know what I mean? And when people ask me, they're like, man, why'd you, why'd you adopt her? And it's like, well, she didn't have a family to go home to, you know, like all these other soldiers, like they get wounded, they have family, they get to go, they get to go home to, you know, they have the VA that goes and takes care of them. You know, these dogs have nothing. And, um, I couldn't allow that to happen to my teammate. You know, I couldn't allow, I couldn't allow that burden of responsibility to be placed on anyone else, you know, but me, um, that is my teammate. That is my friend. That's my sister. That's somebody who saved my life. And so I need to do everything that I possibly can do to bend over backwards and ensure that she has a good life moving forward.
1: What was it like getting her home and introducing her to your son? Like, how did all that go?
0: Um, it went well. So, you know, you got to think they, they had her on they had her on a, a lot of drugs whenever I got her. Um, Xanax, Prozac, Valium, you name it. Um, they had her on just like a laundry list of drugs. And So when I got her back home, um, and I was like, you don't need none of this. And, um, and then I started just, I, I weaned her off all the drugs. Because I needed her to have a clear head, you know i can't I can't keep her doped up and then tr- be able to trust her in the family environment. So I cleaned her systems out and um and then, after I felt like she was clean and done with all the drugs in her system, um, I put a muzzle on her, and I let her walk around my house for a day and uh, And then I kind of got a feeling that you know, hey, she's good. she seems like she's she's nice. she's not gonna do anything stupid to my kid or my you know, or my, my, my wife at the time. Um, And so I took the muzzle off of her and just kind of let her roam around the house watching her. But she seemed, you know, she seemed very curious about a house. You know, there was some deep programming there to where, you know, she would hear something loud and she would go like, check it out really excitingly. Like, Oh, what was that? You know what I mean? Is that something I can bite? Um, But after, you know, I would say after about a year of her being in the house, she really calmed down. And so now she's just, I mean, she's, she's a big old house dog now.
1: Is she a happy dog?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. She's, she's like, as it like now at this point in time in her life, I, I think she knows what she is and like all the recognition and stuff like that, that she's gotten. I think she knows what she is. So yeah, she's super happy. I call her big booty Judy. Cause when she gets super excited, the way she wags her tail and her hips sway um, is pretty funny. it was like me and my son. And like I said, we were just kind of figuring things out with Lega. And my son was like, he was laying on, he was you know, he's like two years old, but he's like laying on this thing on the, on the floor. Right. It's like in front of the TV and you know, I go and I get something to drink. And then when I come back, when I come back in to get something to drink, like Lega is rolled over um, on her back and my son is like crawling onto her stomach. And like, she's You know she's just blissful you can see it in her face and her eyes she's just super happy and it was kind of like right then and there i knew that it was going to be all right um and then you know probably about after a year year or two after adopting her that's when she started getting a lot of recognition and she got it through uh the national geographic when she made the cover of the national geographic uh you know i want to say june 2014 you know so she graced the cover and then you know I jumped out of a plane with her and um you know that's kind of like when all the you know the history channel documentary and the um HBO documentary uh came out and then you know you know this time I'd say this time last year February of last year you know Dog the Movie came out with Channing Tatum and um and you know if you look at the credits through that uh, Leka and Benno's story played a huge inspiration in the making of that movie.
1: What does she mean to you now?
0: Oh man, she's, I mean, she's, she's, she's equivalent to my, my, my children. You know, she's definitely somebody who, uh, you know, she's 11 now. And, um, and so right now what she means to me is she's, she's one of my children and every moment that I have with her in this life, I just try to embrace it and, and soak it up. You know, she, she's helped me, um, transition from the military to the civilian life. You know, people have their PTSD therapy dogs. Well, I have my, you know, I have my Leica, And so she really, she has really helped me. Um, she's really helped kind of, you know, help guide me through the civilian life. If that makes sense, you know, political wise with Congress and, and pushing that agenda of getting these dogs, healthcare. care. I um, mean that's something that I'm doing with her actively, um, you know, working with foundations and groups that take care of special operation, retired canines. You know, she's, she's walking, she's walking proof, visual proof of uh, the sacrifice that these, that all these dogs give night in and night out. I have a problem with the aftercare of these animals. You know, once they're done, because why they're in and why they're in the military and they're serving their purpose, they are given some of the best medical care that money can, you know, that money can uh, that money can provide. But but the instant that they're done right They're they're called access equipment and they are no longer cared for. The government does nothing for these dogs once they retire. Right. There is no VA. There is no medical plan. There is nothing. I mean, we can we can cut checks and cash checks for trillions of dollars for wars that we don't even go and fight. And you mean to tell me that you can't you can't allot you know five million dollars to retired dogs, retired military dogs? Because you got to think, by the time these dogs retire, they're what eight years old. You know, if they, if they have ran their course, they're eight years old when they retire. And so and so we talk about it, right? Like we're you know this is something that every People on every political side can agree with, right? You're left and you're right, right? They can, they, sh- they should all be able to look at each other and we should be able to go to Congress and they should be able to agree that, Hey, these dogs are worth it. We need to go ahead and provide them with free medical care. And I'll tell you this, right? And this, and this is what grinds my gears about it, right? Like you can, you know, y- you can, you can put her on the front of magazines, right? For your PR and your HR campaign. Right for your for your reenlistments and for your your initial enlistments. You know, people look at that. You know, sold not soldiers, but like kids, young kids, and people thinking about going to the military. Like they see that dog and they see her on the cover of National Geographic, and they're like, "Oh man, that's something I want to go do." Right. So you can put her on the front of magazine covers for your PR campaigns. You can erect statues of her. You can put her in documentaries and everything else. But you mean to tell me you can't give her medical care? Yeah. And so all, and so all the medical care even now from leica is done from a foundation. Wow. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't up until it really wasn't up until this time last year that I had been paying everything medical out of my own pocket. Um, and so I do have a mission with her and, uh, and that is the mission. Uh, her mission is to bring awareness
1: Did she like her job?
0: Yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah she enjoyed it. She enjoyed it a lot. You know what I mean but when you have a dog that's willing to walk onto a helicopter with you night in and night out, you know what I mean and walk around dark you know dark nighttime targets with you and um, you know and, and essentially engage engage enemy combatants I mean that that dog's got to really like what he's doing yeah <laughs> you know they don't they don't do it because they don't like it. they do it because they love it.
1: If she could understand human English, what would you say to her?
0: Oh, that, that I love you! Oh, that I love you! I love you with all my heart.
1: To learn more about one of the foundations that raise money for medical care for retired military dogs like Leica, go to ScottsWish.org and click on the page in honor of Duco. D-U-C-O.